Hi, my name is Matt Fernley, editor of Battery Materials Review, and here's all the key news in the world of battery materials this month. Welcome to May's edition of Recharge, the podcast by Battery Materials Review. Cormac O'Lara, MD of Electrios Energy, is back in the hot seat this month. So in a sec, we'll have a recap of all the key news in the world of batteries and battery materials. Just ahead of that, I'd like to thank our sponsor. Renforth Resources is developing the Victoria West Sulfide Nickel Polymetallic Project located in Quebec, Canada. Situated within one hour's drive of the Horn Smelter, Canada's only copper-nickel smelter, the project boasts road access and nearby hydroelectric power infrastructure. The company is looking to define a maiden resource from a body with a six-kilometre strike length and has already embarked on a drilling and evaluation program for this year. Renforth Resources is listed on the Canadian Securities Exchange with ticket RFR. So welcome back, Cormac. We're on the same continent, but we still haven't managed to meet in person. Not yet. No, no. Good to be over here, though. Yeah. And you're not avoiding me at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I might be back in Hong Kong before you see me. Maybe I'll see you in Hong Kong. Who knows? (laughs) Yeah, maybe. 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 We're we're within an hour's flight of each other now, though. Yes. So you can run far in the opposite direction. So a fair amount to talk about this month and uh, last month. Shall we kick off with China? Fair number of gigafactory announcements, few developments in EV land. What, what sort of really jumps out for you? Well, you know, the, it's the, it's the uh, Shanghai lockdowns are really the real big news. Uh, you know, the, the, we see EV sales are down 48% between March and April, pure EVs. Even though penetration uh, rate is up a month on month, but the, you know the the whole automotive industry, uh, passenger vehicles is down fifty percent. That's sales and production, and um, direct result of the lockdowns. And um, I think this will have ramifications throughout the uh, supply chain. You were telling me earlier how there's been a bit of a uh, step back in demand for uh, lithium chemicals. Yeah, and this will play out for a couple more more months, I think. Yeah. Okay. And and I mean, are you hearing anything sort of a bit more sort of midstreamy in the industry? How it's impacting on the cathode side, the anode side? Because obviously, a lot of a lot of trade passes through Shanghai and that sort of general area. You know, we like to see sort of knock-on impacts in the Asian electric vehicle industry, well, the yeah, European um, EV industry. Well, if you're uh, the business is located outside the uh, Yangtze Delta or basically the Shanghai region, have been you know relatively unscathed. BYD was mostly qu- uh, concentrated; their activities are in Guangzhou, uh, Shenzhen area, mostly uh, uh, skirted by this month, and had produced over 100,000 EVs during April. So that just shows you, uh, you know, it's, it's about the regional, it's the regional effect on the, on the lockdowns. And there's a big port in Shenzhen, as everyone knows, but Shanghai is the largest port. And um, I haven't heard of only the companies located in, in Shanghai having some issues, but um, you, most of the imports of materials come in in the southern regions. So uh, okay. where most of the uh, conversion capacity is. So most of the conversion capacity is sort of the, the cathode capacity and whatnot is more in the southern areas and then more... Well, the southern uh, east, yeah. Sally, you know, comes in down here and then it can be shipped out elsewhere. Okay, so, so maybe not quite as, uh, as big an impact on... I think it's growing. I think it's growing, though. 
the pandemic is spreading and uh, any factory with um, any cases at all has been shut down and and the employees isolated for I think it's two weeks still or might have dropped it to 10 days but um, you know it has huge effects in Tesla Tesla only produced apparently 1500 vehicles in April okay and I know you're not a political commentator but a lot of the political commentators are suggesting there'll be no end to the sort of zero COVID policy until possibly sort of the government meetings in October, November. Do you think that sort of sounds just right about right? Well, I think they've already, they've stepped back even from zero COVID to dynamic COVID, where acknowledging that it will never be easy to eradicate. So they you know, employing employing different strategies. And uh, it's what they've done in Hong Kong, dynamic COVID. Because you know they're never going to get out of the city, so it's about living with it to a certain extent. Or the dynamic mostly means that if it's found in one area, that they lock it down so it won't you know spread to other areas. Mm. I think they're going to use uh, Hong-, Hong Kong's uh, more more or less opened up now from severe lockdown, and I think they'll probably use uh, Hong Kong as uh, a trial because Hong Kong's also going dynamic COVID rather than zero COVID. Okay. Okay. So we'll we'll see how this so, goes. Yeah, they might be able to do something similar in Shanghai, except you know Hong Kong doesn't have any production of anything really of note. Yeah. So most people can work from home in the financial industry, insurance industry, and uh, shipping to a certain extent. And of course, last time it took a good sort of two to three months before you know uh, transportation, logistics, and and uh, areas like that sort of got back to a an even keel. So, you know, these impacts might be quite long lived over the course of this year. Oh, yeah. I heard that nothing's moving in or out of Shanghai roadwise. That is even uh, deliveries of EVs to customers is a huge undertaking. A couple of companies have reached out to me. They're looking for alternative logistic methods to get various products out of, out of uh, not necessarily EVs or battery products, but other products out of Shanghai. Okay. I'm trying to skirt the uh, Shanghai port. That's interesting. So moving on to, to Gigafactories then, quite a big quarter for, for Gigafactory announcements, quite a, quite a big four months actually for Giga, Gigafactory announcements. And I guess we probably should be expecting, you know, more going forward as we move on to a higher base. Which ones really stood out for you? Well, there's been a lot in China. They mostly was being a good split, but they're mostly leaning towards LFP now. So now it's kind of split down the middle. Still a lot of ternary announcements, contrary to the direction of the market's going. And um, a lot of people still bring into the lithium iron phosphate business also because, you know, there's opportunities opened up now with the um, expiry of some certain uh, core and key LFP pattern uh, patents. And mm. so... And I saw you had a really interesting post on your LinkedIn profile about sort of LFMP and the, the, the growth of LFMP or is it LMFP, whichever you want, but uh, basically lithium, lithium iron manganese phosphate. What's the sort of attraction of, of that going forward? Well, it depends on the, the manganese uh, iron ratio there, where you want to call it lithium manganese iron phosphate or lithium iron manganese phosphate. <laughs> so. It's not a uh, one one um, generic compound. It, it, depending on the ratio of the manganese and phosphate, you get different uh, characteristics. Does it require sort of high purity manganese like the ternary batteries, or or, or or can it be a slightly lower specification product? Depends on the, the way you synthesize it. 
there's basically two ways, hydrothermal acids, which, well, solvents, which are a bit more forgiving to impurities. And then you got solid phase, which is not tolerant to impurities at all. And um, in that respect, you, you need everything over 99%, either right. uh, hydrothermal or um, solid phase. Right. So quite, quite pure. And, and are they still, because obviously one of the problems with, with manufacturing high purity manganese for the battery industry is the, the low specifications for selenium. What do the selenium sort of specifications look like in, in an FMP? Could you, could you use manganese materials with, with higher levels of selenium or is it the same as, as with ternary batteries? I think it's still less than, um, I'd have to look at it, but it's the, yeah, I think it's very parts per billion. So, okay, so still very low. So you, you, you can't use, for instance, um, manganese sulfate that's been produced for the steel industry. It's still going to have to go through the high purity manganese production route and be very low in selenium. You don't necessarily have to use manganese sulfate either. The method to synthesize uh, at a commercial scale has not really, this is still very early, it has not been uh, established really. Right. And uh, Dynonic maybe have, uh, they have building a secret plant almost, haven't really revealed what they're going to be producing there. That might be the first big LFMP plant. Okay, and, so, and they use, so it's a fair ways out is what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, they don't use the sulfate, I believe. Yeah, okay. Big, well, I'm not going to call it news, speculations this month on, uh, on Tesla and mining. Uh, more yeah. words, I guess, from, from Elon Musk and, and his team. What's your take? When I read one of his articles referring to it, I was expecting to see the name of a potential mining company they're going to buy or somebody in the mining industry, but it was just a head. That was the headline. There's no substance to it at all. From what I can see, there's no potential target on the, uh, on the horizon. Pretty, pretty much in, in line with, you know, Tesla's uh, general comments and behavior on the lithium industry generally, which seems to be a lot of hot air and no actual backup. So uh, probably not a surprise that they don't really or certainly they're not publicly stating that they've really got their heads around what's going on in the mining side of the business. Yeah, well, I'm not sure what value they can add because it's not tech, it's not mass production issue, you know, factory mass production issues, which areas they've excelled in, obviously. Uh, but um, it's a bottleneck, other, other, which, which is, you know, time, uh, you know, quite a lengthy processes, which can't be ironed out with the improved technology or uh, robotics uh, for mass production. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they, the, the issue with the auto industry that we're all struggling with is not that we want to see auto companies go out and buy mining companies. What we want to see is auto companies go out and make capital available to invest in mining projects to take them forward. And, you know, that's what we're really struggling with in the industry. And, you know, the auto companies have had, you know, net cash positions on their balance sheets for the last four or five years, but they haven't put any of their money where their mouth is. And they're still not doing so despite, you know, talking up a good story over the last sort of three to six months or so. So, and this becomes even more important given the current equity market behavior, whereby, the equity markets are very volatile at the moment. That's really impacted the ability of mining companies, particularly smaller mining companies, to raise capital. And if you look at the capital that's been raised in the sector, for starters, it's down 50% year on year when it needs to be up 100% year on year. And on top of that, 50% or more of funds that have been raised in this space in the last 
four years have been equity. So if you now close off the equity markets, yeah. we really do need to be able to raise capital from elsewhere. And, you know, we're struggling to access that capital. Well, uh, reading in the BMR how um, Volkswagen uh, made three points odd billion. So that's some, yeah, some money. From, from hedging nickel. Yeah. 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 Strictly, a, strictly a one-off gain, I think. But Volkswagen yeah. are on the right end of that deal. It looks like CATL and Singshan may have been on the wrong end of that deal. So uh, maybe it nets out across the industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, CATL's money, is it? Well, I saw in the uh, in the CATL result there was a big yeah. uh, derivative loss, which they haven't uh, stated the reason for, which seems to tot up with certain other losses that yeah. the industry industry sort of felt. They're battling to keep their share price up, right? It's been nosediving. Uh, I think he was the chairman was a uh, kind of quarter, not hunger on quarter, quarter during that recent uh, <laughs> annual report. Yeah, definitely a struggle. Definitely struggle for all companies at the moment. I mean, uh, Chinese companies in particular have been in sort of a bear market for equities for probably the last six months or so. And I think the market's quite unforgiving of bad news. And certainly signs now that the global equity markets are are nosing over as well, which obviously is going to make it very difficult to access capital, development capital for, for the upstream side, which probably makes it pretty good news that we're seeing investments from the Australian government, the Canadian government, uh, and even the US government. But obviously, the glaring miss there is the European Union. And we're just not seeing enough investment by the EU in the upstream part of the business. And the EU, you know, were one of the early movers in the raw material side, well, certainly in terms of talking about it. But they yeah. seem to have been lapped by the Australians, Canadians, and the Americans. So you, you do worry going forward whether Europe is going to struggle to be able to access enough raw materials to, to run all of its um, cell factories and uh, EV plants. They don't have a, the same resources to invest in, right? That's the problem. I mean, I think certainly, um, you know, that there is, a, that there is a, an environmental, uh, a strong environmental movement in Europe, which is impacting investment into primary supply. But there was an interesting report out, interestingly enough, by Eurometo this month, which was just flagging, well, if, if you don't want to invest in domestic supply, why don't invest in you know, operations offshore in Africa or Brazil or something, and then insist you know, that they keep to the line on ESG? Obviously, that's, you know, taking a leaf out of the, the Chinese playbook. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like uh, colonialism, right? Which Europe will, uh, will never fly. They'd have to do something like the Belt and Road Initiative China started a couple of years ago. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm not quite sure how one belts and roads from, uh, from Latin America to Europe. but one Yeah, might yeah it's unbelievable. It These, this Belt and Road is going all sorts of places. Roads don't go. Might, might be Belt and Floating Road, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I, I guess the other big news, you know, on the supply side is really the, the, the struggles that a lot of producers are having to, to, to increase production. We expected nickel production to recover, recover quite strongly this year. We got a, a warning out of BHP and a cut to its nickel production forecasts. On the lithium side, the Western Australian hard rock producers have had sequential 
declines in shipments over the last two or three quarters. So, I mean, it really does emphasize how difficult it is to, to add, add new production in this industry. Yeah, there was never a better time to be a lithium producer. Price is all-time high, but still, uh, it's that difficult to scale and grow in this short period that it was impossible to respond, really. Yeah, it's true. Uh, some interesting data out on energy density and, and new techs coming into the market over the last couple of months, particularly on the LFP side, you've got a number of cell makers improving their commercially produced energy densities on LFP. Is that Goshen, maybe? Go uh, Goshen and, and Asphalt. And yeah. it is amazing how much the you know the, the the pack level energy densities have improved in in the LFP side over the last what eighteen months to two years, really making a viable cathode product out of you know something that yeah. wasn't wasn't that viable for for electric vehicles beforehand. Yeah, that was um, that's just that's going to pouch cells, right? Yeah, historically LFP was in the in prismatic form, which is the heaviest pouch cells, uh, which, you know, LG Chem and, and uh, SK have been producing a mass for many years. And, and there's certain issues with pouch cells, safety being one of them. But uh, with LFP, that's a, a little bit alleviated. I don't think the uh, Gaussian or Asphalt's um, LFP chemistry is straight LFP. I think it's doped or even composite with oxide layers or ternary right. materials, which seems to be the, um, the new trend. How does that impact the safety if you, if you um, put in oxide layers in your LFP? Well, apparently it improves safety. The blended material is uh, with LFMP because uh, you, can have, uh, you can operate in the same voltage window. From what I've seen, uh, it could be up to 80% of the material is LFMP, and then you have the 20% oxide layers, uh, ternary materials for whatever advantages you want that for extra power. And, and does that help with cold weather performance and stuff like that? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's pretty interesting. And obviously at the same time, we're seeing a little bit more silicon in the anode, which is also helping with, with fast charging and a bit of the energy density. So we've really seen a quite a transformation in the quality of the LFP battery over the last sort of 12 to 18 months, because Prior to that, a lot of people were quite disparaging about LFP. Yeah, yeah. I th think you're right about the silicon side also. Some of the, the newer cars that came out in the last six months in China with the extended range uh, using LFP, I think had quite high uh, silicon in, in the anode side. And again, maybe you can be a bit more liberal with the silicon now because you have uh, you know, enhanced, increased safety with the um with the LFP on the other on the cathode side, um, and then the only way you know one of the drawbacks might be against cycle life. Silicon still has issues with uh, cycle life, so mm -hmm. the chemistry is looking good, but maybe the cycle life uh, is not quite what it should be. But I'd say it's still good enough, though. I don't have the figures in front of me, but I'd say it's still about a thousand cycles. I'm sort of going to put you in a spot here because we sort of haven't sort of talked about this in advance, and and, and feel free to drop out if, if you don't know, but where do you see the sort of maximum energy density range of a mid-size sort of LFP going? I mean, at the moment, if we talk about maybe a 50 kilowatt hour battery, we're talking maybe a, what, a 300, 300 kilometer range. Could energy density get 
to such a level that we see sort of a 400 kilometer LFP battery? I think so. Yeah, yeah. It depends on um, kilowatt per kilometer. LFP is never going to be as energy dense as NMC. You know, uh, even what you're talking about now is only about 150 watt hour per kilogram because NMC is barely getting close or just above 200 watt hours per kilogram at the pack level. And the cutting edge stuff might be, you know, pretty impressive. But, you know, the generic NMC packs are about 180. So uh, LFP is quite close to that. You know, it's more or less equivalent to a 523, depending how you manufacture the cell. 523, NMC 523 was quite adequate for the, as you said, 300 kilometer range or, or thereabouts. But, you know, building big packs, you can get up there. But I think LFP is not going to be a, a 600 watt hour or a 600 kilometer car. No, that's, uh, yeah. that's for sure. It's going to be sub 500, I bet. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And, um, you know, technical innovations like cell to chassis and, and stuff like that, that's going to hopefully save a, a fair amount of weight in the pack. Will that help to sort of improve pack densities? Yeah, of course. Well, there's no more pack, right? It's gone. It's going to be car density or something. I don't know what we're going to call it, but um, the first Celta chassis car was introduced in China this month, Leap Motor. I think it's called the L7 or something like that. So they beat Tesla to it and, um, and others, but uh, it, you know, there's a commercially car, uh, a Celta chassis uh, car available. I think there's going to be a lot of issues with it though. I've been speaking to a lot of recyclers recently and they're very concerned about the, how they're going to recycle that because uh-huh. you're going to, you're going to turn into a car dismantler, which is, you know, not the industry. And although some in China, for example, if you are some of the bigger um, recyclers are car dismantlers. So they in their uh, battery pack recovery, uh, it involves the whole car. Elsewhere, it's how do we get the battery pack back, you know, from dealers or um, waste junkyards. But yeah. in China, the whole car is going to end up in the forecourt of these recyclers and they're able for that. But um, it's going to be interesting to see how they, how you know, because the Celta chassis is the stability and safety of the car. It's inherent. It's structural stability. I don't know how they're going to dig it out. You know, recyclers have big problems with packs that um, have too much glue in them, for example, you know, yeah. like uh, some Tesla packs even, or too much uh, glue, meaning thermal glue, thermal epoxy. Sometimes they're not even worth recycling for the time it takes to take the cells out. Wow. Okay, that's interesting. So you, you don't hear a lot of that from the recyclers, I must say. Of course, the other big pushback that we get on LFP, and I don't know if you've got any comments on this from the recycling point of view, is that we hear that because um, the raw material value in LFP is, is so much lower, it's not attractive to, to recyclers. Do, do you have any sort of um, views on that? Yeah, well, you know, LFP, Biggest LFP market was China. Uh, and until recently, they didn't recycle. The big recyclers did not recycle LFP. They would either pass it along to second tier recyclers. That's if, um, you know, originally LFP was going to be directly um, second life usage, but the, there was a couple of fires, big one in Beijing last year, right. and the government stopped all that to review because of big problems with second life also, because you get in these packs that have their own battery management systems, EV battery management systems, which you don't need for uh, energy storage. Um, so you have to change the battery management system. You got to get access 
the recyclers need, our second life guys need access to the proprietary BMS systems of the uh, OEMs, the EV companies, you know, to assess the health of the packs. So big issues there. But uh, recently, with the price in uh, lithium chemicals, people, uh, recyclers are enthusiastic about recycling uh, LFP. How does it work with with LFP? Is the um, iron phosphate component or the lithium iron phosphate component reusable in batteries, or or does that have to go back into other uses of phosphate? The way the direction LFP recycling is going is called uh, regeneration. So it's kind of what you're saying there. Because LFP is a very stable crystal structure, not like NMC. So the crystal structure is more or less the same when you first, when the cells first produced to the final day going to recyclers. So through a number of thermal techniques, you can regenerate that crystal structure or you uh, regeneration in the crystal structure. You can regenerate by getting the iron phosphate out and using the same iron phosphate. And because lithium is used up during the lifetime of the battery, but you add the, you know, even you add the ratio of the missing, basically the missing lithium in there and you just treat it, you treat it with thermal uh, processes also like you do for fresh material. So it sounds straightforward, but the LFP regeneration is a lot easier than uh, NMC recycling. Oh, well, that's, um, that's interesting because yeah. that's certainly not something you hear a lot in the Western world. I mean, a lot of, I've been broke this view by, I've got, if I, if I could count the number of people I've been broke this view by that, uh, you know, LFP is, uh, is worthless as a material at the end of life. But if you're able to to recycle it quite easily, then uh, I think that's really... You can recycle it. They are recycling. You can get lithium carbonate, straightforward, 90, 95% recovery. You know, it's great. It's well worth it these days. But uh, you can't run it through the same same recycling plants for NMC, for example. It's it's different process flow. And... There's not an infinite amount of iron phosphate out there. Uh, As as uh, we've discussed before. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, it's, it's worthwhile, although it's more expensive. Recycling is more expensive than doing, um, you know, a greenfield plant, more or less, you know. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, well, it, well, it is for now. It may not be, uh, it may not be going forward. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, recycling is a very energy-intensive process. Yeah. Uh, or if you go to thermal methods or with the hydro, you got a lot of waste chemicals, waste water. So the industry is not really... Uh, sorted out yet in uh, i'm referring to what they're doing in china as opposed to uh elsewhere but uh, china is more or less even though china is not leading the um uh, recycling industry uh it does you know humicore has been there a long time it does process the most batteries so yeah and there's a lot of consumer battery recycling takes place in china as well yeah yeah it was all built about the getting the cobalt they didn't even uh try and get the retain the lithium when they first started doing it It was just get the cobalt out like GM, GM was originally does a lot of things, but primarily a cobalt recycler, and not just from batteries, but from carbide, cobalt carbides, other you know, tooling and that kind of stuff. So, okay, it's all it was all about the cobalt originally, yeah, yeah, and and now it's not all about the cobalt. <laughs> so it's all about the lithium now, all yeah, about lithium yeah, these yeah. days. But uh, people um, are forgetting about cobalt. I think you had it in the BMR though, but the cobalt is also suffering the same problems as all the other materials. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I think cobalt's kind of the forgotten child of the battery um, raw material space because yeah. everybody's like, well, you know, cobalt, dirty stuff. We don't talk about it very much, but uh, still ignore the fact that the cobalt market's going to have to double over the next sort of 10 years or so. Even with uh, the 811 chemistry, the, the, the amount of growth in, in battery usage we're seeing, we're still going to see 
huge increase in demand for cobalt. And, and of course, you know, cobalt goes elsewhere in the energy transition as well. So, um, yeah, the cobalt story is not going to go away, I don't think. I haven't heard anyone mention, it just occurred to me, uh, maybe you know a little bit about it, is the projects going on in Indonesia. You know, there's going to be cobalt coming out of there as well, but I haven't heard, it's all about the nickel there, but... Yeah, that's all in everybody's model. It produces, what, 90% nickel, 10% cobalt. Current cobalt price is probably 50-50% on profitability. So, yeah, I think that's in everybody's in everybody's models for the cobalt. But uh, it, it's still probably not enough to um, to match uh, supply with demand. All right. Yeah. So yeah, I didn't see it advertised as a solution to cobalt issues. Also, it isn't because we still need to find sort of cobalt from other sources. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the cobalt's kind of, as I said, the forgotten, forgotten yeah. son. Was that the name? His name who can't be mentioned. <laughs> yeah, from yeah. Harry Potter, right? Yeah, exactly. He he sh- who shall not be named. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I'll say uh, thank you very much to Cormac for an enjoyable discussion, and uh, look forward to speaking to you next month. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. All the best. So that brings us to the end of our podcast for May. I'll say thank you again to our sponsor, Renforth Resources. Check them out on their website. They are RFR on the Canadian Securities Exchange. You can get more detail on any of the topics we discussed in the latest issue of Battery Materials Review, which you can find at www.batterymaterialsreview.com. I'm Matt Fernley, editor of Battery Materials Review, and this has been Recharge. Thanks for listening. <laughs>